Well, it's, it's great to be with you this evening. Thanks again for uh, your invitation. And um, it's, um, it's good to be able to share with you this evening um, something of the glory of Christ in his holiness and in his righteousness. When, when, when Jesus appeared in the world, um, the world knew nothing of the wonder and the glory uh, that would be revealed from that time and forevermore. We're only at the end of February, so, so you can still remember the Christmas stories, the Christmas readings that you may have read in Luke chapter 1, 2, uh, Matthew chapter 1, John chapter 1. You remember in Luke chapter 1 or 2, is it? When the conception and the birth of Jesus were announced by the angels. And the news was more or less staggering for all the people that heard and, and, and only through God-given, spirit-inspired faith, only by believing and trusting the news, could people receive it and begin to, to benefit. Remember Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, when she heard the news, and, and her first response was a question, how, how, how can this be? Now, it was faith-seeking understanding. I don't think when Mary asked, how can this be? She didn't necessarily doubt at that point or moment. But her question illustrates the, the staggering nature of the news that she had been given. And the reply that she received was this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel told Mary that the triune God was at work. And that nothing is impossible with the triune God. The Spirit, the Father, the Son. Working together to do something altogether new, something altogether amazing. Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, the mother of John the Baptist, she too was, was staggered. Why is this granted to me, she says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? When Mary appears at her door, how are you doing, Elizabeth? Wow, the mother of my Lord has come to me. But Elizabeth said more. She announced a blessing on Mary. Because of her faith in God's promises. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And from the beginning of his life in the world. Jesus was called holy. That, that too was in the message of the angel to, to Mary. The holy one who's to be born will be called the Son of God. And, and that theme of holiness and righteousness continued in the accounts that we have of the life of Jesus. Jesus was circumcised as a, as, as, as a child, an infant, according to the law of God. Jesus was the, the firstborn child to Joseph and, and Mary. And so according to the According to the law of Moses, Jesus had to be set apart. 
And and so in Luke chapter 2, here's what we read. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. From the beginning of his life in the world, Jesus was holy, set apart, and Jesus lived in righteous obedience to the laws of God. And Luke tells us that as a child he grew, he grew in wisdom, he grew in grace, he grew in the knowledge of holiness, he grew in the knowledge of righteousness, and very early in the life of Jesus, something became apparent to him and to those close to him. It became apparent to Jesus that his whole life was one that needed to be dedicated to holiness and righteousness. Do you remember the story? Remember the story of Jesus as an older boy in Jerusalem, and he heads up to the temple, and he ends up spending days in the temple. Remember the story when when his parents finally find him? And, 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 And Jesus says to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? As a boy, a very young man, Jesus was already conscious. He was already committed to a life of holiness, a life of righteousness, a life of obedience to the will of his heavenly Father. And that holiness, that righteousness and obedience, collectively, it was demonstrated in the ordinary things of his life. So we read that Jesus obeyed his parents. Son of God comes into the world and he's obedient to Mary and Joseph. We read that Jesus grew in favor with ordinary people in day-to-day life. People recognized that here was a man who had integrity. He was a man who did the right thing all of the time. Obedience, righteousness, holiness, and the ordinary things. But the holiness and righteousness of Jesus were not simply that Jesus was a good man. And the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus were not simply that Jesus was a man who did not sin. That's true. But, But the passages that we read in Hebrews, some of the verses that we read this evening, in the days of his flesh is the phrase that we read. And we read that in the days of his flesh... Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. In the days of his flesh, verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience. And that's why over in chapter 7 at verse 26, the writer to the Hebrews can say that Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. But we need to understand that Jesus was not in the world simply to live a life of sinless perfection. 
Because the holiness and the righteousness that Jesus fulfilled were over and above simply keeping the law of Moses and the law of God. If I can put it like this without it sounding a bit strange, Jesus did more than fulfill the law of God. Because the the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus surpassed the holiness and the righteousness of the law of Moses. That's the argument that the writer to the Hebrews is making. Because even in the Gospels, we start to read about Jesus fulfilling new commandments, fulfilling new obligations. The word of of God was given to John the Baptist. Elizabeth's son and John the Baptist preached a message that required people to be baptized. That was not in the law of Moses. Here was a new word from God. A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And Luke tells us that Jesus also was baptized. And it's interesting in the passages where we read about that. We're not going to look them up this evening. But, but, but Luke distinguishes Jesus. All the people were baptized, we read. All the people who heard the message of John the Baptist and responded to his ministry. All of the people were baptized. But Jesus too was baptized is how Luke appears to put it. And at the baptism of Jesus, the the, the Spirit of God and God the Father added their blessing to that occasion. The Holy Spirit appeared, descended upon Jesus. And the Father spoke about his delight, spoke about his pleasure in Jesus. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Because Jesus was fulfilling this holiness, Jesus was fulfilling this righteous calling that was upon his life. And God the Father was able to say, I am pleased in who you are. I am pleased that you are holy. I am pleased that you are righteous. I am pleased in the way that you're fulfilling your calling. Luke, in his gospel, is clear that that, that Jesus, in his own terms, was set apart. Jesus was sinless. From the beginning, Luke tells us that Jesus is the holy, righteous Son of God. But Luke And the other gospel writers in their own way. They tell us that the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus were worked out in a very peculiar way, a very distinctive way. And and, and the writer to the Hebrews helps us to understand this distinctive way. Back in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus directed towards a very specific, a very special end during the days of his flesh. Jesus was holy. Jesus was righteous. So that you can be holy and righteous too. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. So that you can become holy and righteous. 
And you need to be holy. You need to be righteous. You need to become holy. You need to become righteous. Because if you're not holy, if you're not righteous, you're bound to suffer a life without any of God's goodness and blessing. If you are holy and righteous, you will know God in your life after death. But if you're not holy, if you're not righteous, You will not know God in your life after death. You will not know the joy of heaven and the new creation. To live as unholy, to live as unrighteous, is to set yourself up for eternal ruin. A fate worse than death. The Bible calls it the second death. And so to spend our time thinking about the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus this evening. It's not an exercise in devotion. It's not an exercise in theology. It's not an exercise in biblical niceties. Because if you're not holy and righteous, if you don't know about the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus, you're going to hell. If you're not someone who believes that Jesus lived and died and rose again for the sake of your salvation, you will not enter the heavenly place where Jesus currently dwells in holiness and righteousness. You will not know heaven when you die, and you will not know the new creation when Jesus comes back to this world in power and glory with his angels. The righteousness and the holiness of Jesus are essential to the truth of the gospel. The righteousness and the holiness of Jesus are essential to your eternal well-being. Remember how it was for Jesus the first 30 years of his life in the world and Jesus lives his life under the law of God, privately doing all that was proper, never sinning, never straying, never failing. He was dedicated, he was circumcised, he's brought up to honour God's law, respect the temple regulations, carry out all the festivals that he was able to fulfil, and Jesus had to obey the moral religious laws of the Old Testament, every one of the Ten Commandments, and Jesus kept and fulfilled those commandments perfectly. The days of his flesh, the days of his humiliation. But around the age of 30, as we've already heard this evening, the life of Jesus became public. And he's baptized by John the Baptist. He enters a new phase of the days of his flesh, a new phase of his humiliation. And and, and though he did not need to, he was already sinless. He was already righteous. He was already holy. But he submits himself to the baptism of John. And and, 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 and he's tempted in ways that he's never been tempted before. And then, having been initiated into his public role as prophet, priest, and king of God's new kingdom, he, he travels around Israel. He preaches, he teaches. And sometimes he's really well received. Sometimes he gets well fed and sometimes he's got a a comfortable place to stay but sometimes he's he's rejected and often he's got no home to rest in often he's hungry 
And, and, and Jesus ministered the good news of the kingdom of God to Israel. And you think to yourself, how, how did that go? How did that end? Well, at least part of the story. Pain, suffering, rejection, arrest, and crucifixion. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 5. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. What does it mean when it says that Jesus learned obedience? Well, well, one writer, one commentator explains it like this. What did he learn? Well, Jesus He learned obedience. When the Son of God took to himself his human nature, when when, when Jesus appeared in the world as he lived in his humiliation, Jesus had to be a disciple. That's what being a disciple means. It means being someone who learns. And, and, And Jesus learned obedience. Before he took to himself a human nature, the Son of God did not need to obey anyone. It was actually impossible for the Son of God to obey anyone apart from his incarnate being. But when he becomes a man, when he takes to himself flesh, he he becomes a disciple. That's what being a disciple is. It's someone who learns. Someone who puts into practice what they know to be true. The Son of God knew that he'd come into the world to be the redeemer of God's people. But in his human nature, the Son of God had to put that knowledge into practice. And though he was the Son of God in divine nature, yet Jesus had to put into practice what he knew. He had to submit to the conditions of humanity. He had to submit to his God-given role in the world. He had to fulfill all that God the Father wanted of him. And that was his delight. Jesus delighted in the Father's will for his life because he himself was beloved Son of God, the Son of the Father, who shared in all the glory of the Father, who shared in the will of the Father, even the will of the Father, that the Son should become the Savior of the world, the great high priest of his people. What did Jesus learn? He learned obedience. How did Jesus learn obedience? Through suffering. Jesus did not enter into a world of sinless perfection and ease. And that's one of the ways in which the experience of sinless Jesus was so very different to the experience of sinless Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve did not begin their life in a fallen, broken world. Adam and Eve began their lives in a wonderful, beautiful garden paradise. But from the very moment that the body of Jesus was formed in his mother's womb, he was experiencing sinful, holy life in a sinful, broken world. 
His body, like our body, similar in weakness and limitations. His soul, conscious of the burdens of being in a world under God's wrath and judgment. And yet his body and soul, utterly devoted to God, utterly devoted to God's law, Jesus, righteous and holy. Also that he could be the perfect high priest also that he could be the perfect sin offering without blemish and without defect verse 9 of hebrews chapter 5 having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him you see all the cries all the prayers that we read about in verse 7 of hebrews chapter 5 god the father heard the prayers of his son. And God the Father delivered his son from the depths of his suffering. He raised his son from the dead. Having been perfected. Having fulfilled all of God's will for his life, even to the point of dying on the cross for the sake of sinners, having been perfected. Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How was Jesus perfected? He was perfected in and through his resurrection is what I think the meaning of the text is. God answered his prayers. God delivered him from death. And do you notice the result of the consequence? Verse 9 again. Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, if you're still awake, if you're a Christian, that saying should maybe puzzle you a bit. Because if if you're a good reformed evangelical Christian, you think differently to that saying. If you're a good reformed evangelical Christian, you think that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all who believe him. But that's not what our verse says, does it? All who obey him. Why not all who believe in him? Well, I think there's two reasons to that. First of all, in Romans chapter 1 verse 5, we read the Apostle Paul talking about the obedience of faith. And and, and there's a very real sense in which um, faith is obedience. And and when you look up uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 5, and if you've got a decent Bible that's got cross-references, there are at least one or two other verses where, where, where obedience is used in relation to Jesus and salvation. Um, I think it's Acts chapter 6, verse 7 is one of them. And we read about how the priests in the temple in Jerusalem, they, they, they became obedient to the faith. There's a sense in which faith is obedience. But, but that, I don't think that's the main reason why our writer in Hebrews chapter 5 talks about obedience to Jesus. Because there's another thing happening here. The the writer to the Hebrews, he's writing to believers. He's writing to Christian believers. 
So, so, so there's the problem is not coming to faith. The problem was remaining true to the Christian life. The, the, the problem was working out whether or not the Christian way of life was really better than the Jewish way that they turned from. And the message is clear. Jesus is a better way of life. And just as Jesus learned obedience, so too Christian believers need to learn obedience. And the closing chapters of Hebrews, they're full of calls to obedience. Um, the, The section that we've started reading this evening probably goes all the way to Hebrews chapter 10, discussing the priesthood of Jesus and how Jesus is our great high priest. But but the conclusion to the letter to the Hebrews is all about the response to, to that great truth about Jesus as our great high priest. Therefore, Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In other words, keep on living. Keep on obeying. And Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 13, full of calls to obedience. Look to Jesus. Obey him. If you're not a Christian this evening, if you've not professed faith, if you've not been baptized, if you've not repented of your sin, if you've not turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. Because you need the holiness and the righteousness that come through Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest of his people. Chapter 7, verse Um, 25, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. You yourself will also receive the gift of the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you have done those things, Are you working out your salvation in fear and trembling? If you're a Christian believer this evening, are you obeying Jesus? And in the closing chapters of Hebrews, as I've already hinted, there are several commands and principles that Christians are to put into practice. Are you committed to a local church? Are you committed to leaders in a local church? If you're not... You're not being obedient to Jesus. Are you sure you know him? 
Are you sure he's your high priest? Are you hospitable? Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Some have known blessings beyond the imagination because they were hospitable. Are you seeking to be at peace with all people? Are you making sure that you're not bitter? If you're not, then you're not obeying Jesus. Pursue peace with all people. Verse 14 of chapter 12. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Do not bear bitterness in your heart. Seek peace with all people. If you're not doing that, you're not obeying Jesus. Do you honour, protect and uphold marriage? If you do not, you're not being obedient to Jesus and, and God will judge you. Verse 4 of chapter 13, marriage is honourable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. Because Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. And as the holy, righteous one, he offered himself on behalf of all those who look to him for salvation and and he has sanctified his people with his own blood and the proper response to that sacrifice on our behalf is to offer our praise is to do good is to obey Jesus until the day that Jesus calls us to himself in glory is is, is that is that your life if you're a professing Christian this evening is that your testimony That no matter how imperfect your life is, yet your your true um, integrity can say, your conscience is clear, I'm seeking to live in obedience to all that Jesus has taught me. Offering praise and doing good until the day that Jesus calls you home. Jesus, the Holy One, Jesus, the righteous one, Jesus, our great high priest. May God persuade us this evening to live for him.